Welcome back, Green and Gold Rugby, episode 147. I'm Roby Reg. Thanks for joining us again for another week. It's a, it's a big show this week, special guest star coming up soon, but uh, my co-host for the evening. It's a very intimate affair today. Uh, Dave, mate, how are you? I'm very well, mate. Yourself? Excellent, excellent. Now, look, we're going to get into detail, you and I, and, and, and break down the test match that was and have a look forward to next week we've got a very special guest uh wallaby legend brumby legend joe roff uh coming up in the show uh very very soon you got any good memories of roffy dave how'd you rate him oh no roffy was a legend i mean you know he was one of these guys that uh every time someone sort of brought up well is he really that good or is he that quick or is he that this he did something amazing um i mean he did for the brumbies god knows how many times but you know he turned the Lions series around for us. I yeah. mean, you can't, you just can't argue with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I think that's the defining moment for Rafi. He, he achieved so much, obviously, World Cups and Bledisloe's and Super Rugby's, but that Lions series uh, with the two tries in, I think it was the second test there, was just standout. So Plus, plus all the consecutive games. He played yeah, some he ridiculous number of consecutive tests, like 60 or 70 or he something. Did. I think you're right. I, I thought the figure something like stand that. around 70-odd, but you're right. It was uh, an amazing effort. I mean, so, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, an amazing play. Yeah. So let's uh, let's go have a chat to Joe Roth now and and talk all things rugby. Yeah, right there, right there. Joining us now is Wallaby legend, Brumby legend, Joe Roth. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a chat about some of his career, his his uh, take on the Wallabies and how they stand at the moment and what he's uh, involved with in rugby at the moment, HSBC. Uh, we'll talk a bit about that in a second. So, Joe, thanks a lot for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you, Reg. Excellent. Let's jump straight into the Wallabies, mate. And... Uh, the, the first two tests of the season, what's your take? Is obviously a bit of a, uh, a change in at least uh, uh, the, the, the scope of the victory in the first test to the second test. What was your read into the change? Yeah, two very contrasting victories, weren't they? The, uh, the first game was very open, free flowing. Uh, a lot of outside backs scored, which, was, which warmed my heart as a, a former washed up winger. Uh, and it was really good to see, very, uh, very selfless display. The, um, the second game, the French were a very different side, um, led by Dessertois, very, very different style of game, very aggressive, very uh, uh, defensively, very strong. You could see that they were they were more up for it in the second game than they were in the first, uh, and I think it, um, it it put Australia a little bit on the back foot, and um, it wasn't uh, the greatest of spectacles uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a it was a good. Uh, courageous win, and, and um, I, I think Michael Hooper would take that in, in his first outing as captain, one from one so far as the uh, new Australian Wallabies captain. Yeah, absolutely. Now you, you touched on that first test, and I, we won't re- rehash too much because we spoke in depth about it last week. But the things flowed well. It was obviously a a, a put together French side, the few players missing and signing. And you're right, so they made the, the ten changes to the starting lineup this week. Was it just a matter of the the French? 
standing up more? Could you see any change in game plan from the Wallabies that that uh, that dictated the the, the the change in scoreline there? Um, I really enjoyed the first game because it was a very cohesive, you know, for a first outing for the Wallabies. Traditionally, in that first June test, uh, we've always struggled to get the combinations, and there were new combinations within that back line, within that team. Um, but it was cohesive. You could you could sense that the the culture that Ewan McKenzie's put together there is a very positive one, um, and there's a lot of energy. and And I, I use that word for selflessness. That um, the team were playing for the team, uh, and it was it was wonderful to see. Um, I think the 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 French came out very strongly in the second test, and uh, and perhaps um, whether it was planned or, or otherwise, uh, the Wallabies. Uh, just went into a, a slightly conservative mode, um, and uh, both teams were playing for field position, and it was a real test match um, tussle. So um, I think the third test will be interesting to see how it pans out. I think the French uh, are at the end of a very long season. They, they play an extraordinary amount of games in, in France in their own you know, French league and the, the Heineken Cup. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether that was that second test was there their one um, effort uh, in terms of winning the series or whether they can back that up again and, and look to get that last win to, to round out their season. Yeah, tell us about... Uh, you would have played with you and I guess, in that, that inaugural Brumby season, correct, and back in 96. Um, any insight there that he was going to move into coaching? Um no real idea at that stage, but he was certainly, uh, you know, I was, I was quite young and he was a, very much a senior player and he, and he did have that statesman-like uh, presence uh, within the team. You know, he commands respect, uh, but he also has a, um, I, I think, a, a, a great insight into the, the psychology of, of, of the players. He, he really understands the, the culture of, of what a good team is about. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that the the cohesiveness, you know, doesn't come from uh, it only comes from from time together. But um, to see where the team's at without having spent any time together, I think it all goes well for uh, for the going into the, the rugby championships in a in a few months time. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's break that down a bit further, Joe. And I guess um, one of the things we noted from the Wallaby selections and. And, and you can probably see it now, the fact that they're going to be playing their third test in a row with the same back line, uh, I believe it's the case. Um, there weren't any real combinations picked initially. You had White from the Brumbies and Foley uh, from the Tars in the, in the, in the halves. Uh, we did have Tamur and Kurandrani um, in the in the centres there, but uh, Tamur hasn't been playing uh, much of his football at, at, at 12 and so on. Um, and then, obviously, uh, the Honey Badger and, and Ashley Cooper and Izzy at fullback. So, you know, there's combinations all over the plate. All, you know, there's not, no real clear combinations there. How are you seeing that back line combine there? And, and what are the, some of the key factors that you've picked up so far? Uh, I think there's a really good balance between uh, ball-playing um, uh, players within the back line and hard-running players within the back line. I think there's a, there's a very good blend of, uh, of, of skill and, I guess... Um, your power, uh, for want of a better word. One, one of the things I think Ewan will be seeking to do is, uh, yes, he's trying new combinations at the moment, but I don't think he'll um, progress 
as we get closer to the World Cup with the uh, the, the Robbie Dean's um, coaching philosophy that it's a competitive environment. You fight for your place every week, and the best seven players get slotted into the back line in any way um, that best suits for that week. I think you and Will. Um, seek to have a settled side and, and whenever you've seen a, a traditional uh, wallaby side um, that is successful it, it generally picks itself and it has a very settled side uh, I think that's where Ewan will eventually take the team uh, and it gives rise to an exceptional opportunity for those players that are currently picked uh, to cement down their position uh, going forward uh, and I think the, 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 the they're still testing those combinations and working a few things out um, but I, I certainly think it's uh, you know, particularly from that first test as cohesive a, a unit as um, as we've seen in, in Australian rugby for, for some time Yeah, let's, can we nail down on that and, and we'll pay um, a special mention to, to one of the Brumbies is that Matty Tamua who's still so young in the scheme in the overall um, career-wise, but he's just seems so comfortable in that 12 position, doesn't he? It's it's almost a position we, we seem to have lacked a while. One that's a bit of a second playmaker, but that has that calm and assured nature who can control the game, and and um, he's going to be a critical player for that Wallaby backline moving forward, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I think he you know, had a period where he's hampered by you know sporadic injuries, which which halted some uh, momentum. But he's he's you know been fit for a long time now. Um, he's getting some you know continuity in terms of number of games together, and and he just looks composed. And uh, I don't think he's an international twelve. He's a world class twelve now. Uh, and I, I think um, you can build a backline. You, you talk about players that you can build a backline around. Uh, and Matty Tamura at 12, I think, is one of those players. Yeah, I 100% agree. Let's move further out and look at your old position, or at least the, the position you know played a few positions for the Wallabies, but the one that you really sort of made your name in, and the wing is, and we've said it on the forum and, and on the podcast a few times, it's probably the one position in the back line, at least, that we feel we're lacking a bit of depth. What's your read on our wingers uh, across the board? Do you agree with that statement, or you, you think we're pretty well served? Um, I think we're pretty well served there, to be honest. Uh, and you know, being from Canberra and, and um, being partisan to uh, to what we see down here, I, I, you note also that Henry Henry Spate's about to come into the mix. Yep. Um, and I think that um, you know the the those those wingers that have performed in the last couple of week, weeks have performed against you know very good um, backlines and uh, and against New Zealand sides and South African sides in the uh, in the Super Rugby. Uh, I think we're pretty well served, but it, it may be that we have too many, um, or, or a little bit too much depth in that area, so we don't quite know who's going to be settled in that position. We're also playing, you know, we, we're seeing fullbacks played on the wing and centres played on the wing, and uh, there, there's a little bit of trial and error in, in this at the moment. And I, I just don't think we're quite settled on it, um, but it's great seeing the guys like Honey Badger score tries like, yeah. uh, like they did in that first test. Exactly, and are you of the the belief that um, you need to balance your wingers? And we've almost it's, it would seem that we've got two power wingers or two blindside wingers, so to speak, in in Ashley Cooper and and, and, and Cummins, who who play that strong power game, who aren't necessarily the out and out flyers. That spike will definitely provide us once he's if he's selected, assuming he will at some stage. That can really you know run away and and, and break the back line open. Is that the type of balance you look for in your wingers, or it's just your, your two best available? Uh, I think that's a fair fair comment. I mean, you look at um, 
outside of uh, White and Foley in, at nine ten, you look at um, Tamura, Kurandrani, Ashley Cooper, uh, Mick Cummins, Israel Flair. They're physical, physical players. They they like the confrontation. They like the um, the athletic side of things, uh, and they're not the classic uh, Philip Bernard's uh, flying French winger style of player. Um, so I, when you think on it, and as you've just said that, it's it's one of the the, the biggest, and most physical backlines we've seen for quite a few years in the in the Wallaby lineup. Um, and so perhaps there is potentially a place for for someone who's a little, uh, I guess, more agile. Um, you know, it brings a different range of skills. Uh, but at the same time, you, you can't say that you know someone like Coops doesn't doesn't have all the skills. Um, they just love the physicality of it all as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's. You, you touched on it before, and, and you, you noted that you and is, is probably going to, you know, rely on this combination and move forward. Where do you think we stand as it stands now in preparedness for the rugby championship? Sure, but you know, really want to win back that Bledisloe Cup, and then looking twelve months further, the World Cup next year. Are we on the right track? How do you think we're faring? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was in a taxi on the way to the game in Melbourne, and uh, the taxi driver said, "You know, how many years away are we from winning the Bledisloe Cup?" And I genuinely prefer to think, "In how many months are we away from winning it?" I think, uh, you know, I think that the team um, has the capacity to do it. Um, I think we need it um, psychologically. Um, you know, it has been a long time, and it's an important time. I, I've always genuinely believed that the year prior to the World Cup is as important as the, the year of the World Cup. Mm. Um, it turns, um, I, I think, green players into mature players, and it turns mature players into world-class players during that time, and, and that's what you need. You need both the... Um, it, when you're in a World Cup, you can't have green players. You need you know, mature players who can be dropped into a World Cup final, but you also need world-class players who can win a World Cup final. And I think those sorts of players are established at least 12 months out, um, and therefore the rugby championship this year, I think, uh, is incredibly important. And I also believe that the, the, the current crop of players are well-placed uh, to perform very well and, and potentially take out uh, the rugby championship this year. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, observation you make, Joe, and, and I think a lot of people who sort of follow the Wallaby history will, will see back to those that you know year 1998 when when um, you know there, there's definitely once we started to settle, I think that was the first year Larkham got put to to fly half, and I think Todd yep. I made his debut around then, and and you know um, well, not Todd I uh, Jimmy Williams, sort of these you know uh, Tommy Bowman, all these sorts of guys came in back in '90, the same that's what Eelsey and wasn't long between Timmy and Jace came in. And obviously we're seeing a fair few debutantes come through now and, and the, the latest will be Big Will Skelton this weekend. Um, it's a fine balancing act, isn't it, for, for you and to bring those in at the right time without rushing them, seeing what they've got, but then you add them to the... We've got, I think, the last couple of tests we've had, you know, Kevy's get his 50th test the, the week before was uh, Cliffy and, and Slipper and I think in a couple of weeks' time we'll have Tatafu and and uh, a few others. So th- there's a great mix between that experience or, you know, borderline experience and, and that uh, those rookies coming through at the moment, isn't there? There really is. And, and that around that 50 test mark is is almost perfect, I think, going into to a World Cup. And certainly when you're hungry for it, as, as I think the Australian team are, you look at you know, every team that's ever won the World Cup, uh, really, in the, in the last um, few World Cups, and 
you should almost pick the side 12 months out and mm. it's been the same side going through um, you look at that New Zealand side in the last World Cup um, the South African side uh, you go back to you know there are exceptions you, you, you talk about Will Skelton coming in and, and certainly a guy like in 1991 now we're diving into history but Ilsey you know was discovered I guess in the year of the World Cup but yeah. that's um, you know that's he's an exceptional person and um, you know an exceptional rugby player so um, there are you have to I think as a coach have the courage to still be able to select those people but also understand that that a settled side um, creates a collective goal whereas if you're fighting for your spot each week and you don't know whether you're in or out you end up it becomes I think um, focused on individual performance to stay in the side rather than the focus on the the ultimate goal um, certainly back in in 99. You know, we, we, we had a, a reasonably settled side. You know, you, there were very few changes throughout the, the whole year. And, and so you could simply focus on what the team was doing and put the team before anything else in the team's goals. So I think that's where Ewan's values will sit. Uh, and it's just a matter of how far out do you settle on that um, while still allowing the flexibility to, to bring in new talent and try them and, and see whether a Will Skelton's world class, which he may well be. Yeah, let's go back to your career. Keep and get relevant with the with the French. What are your memories of of playing the French? You would have played them a fair few times, I would imagine. Uh, any standout memories of of your experiences playing that uh, the flair that is the French team? Um, I think I played against the French teams where there were flying wings, the Dominici's yeah. and the Philippe Bernard Salles. Uh, uh, you know, also the you know, Emile Entomax, uh, Rougeries, you know, there were some wonderful players, wonderful players, and, um, and they really had a, a laissez-faire, um, laissez-faire flamboyance about them, and they wanted to play that way. Mm. That's why I always loved playing against them. Um, and certainly, you know, there was also, a, you know, a, a certain amount of aggressiveness that, you know, was touch and go in terms of whether it was legal or not, and that's the way the Latinos uh, approached it. You know, I had a year playing in Biarritz uh, in the French club competition and and um, and saw some incredible things while I was there that uh, you probably wouldn't get away with with fourth referees anymore. Um, but that's just the way they... Uh, how would I describe the French? I think they, they don't get... They don't let rugby get in the way of life, and they they approach rugby as they approach life. And I, I think they, um, well, that's why you know when we throw out that cliche that you can beat any team on your given day, they're the they're the team that that actually really does apply to. They can beat any team in the world on their day. Um, it's just a matter of whether they um, feel like it in, in many respects. Yeah, it's scary stuff. It was always the fear when they, they made their 10 replacements. We were facing a whole new team, so we didn't know what to expect. So who knows what they'll pull out this weekend. The team hasn't been named yet, but we'll we'll see that soon enough. Uh, Joe, let's talk a bit more about your a couple of your current roles. I think, first and foremost, you're involved with the, the University of Canberra, is that correct? Correct, the union there? I am. And what's That's your role right. there? And because they've recently become, uh, you know, very strategically aligned with the Brumbies. We have, yes. So we, um, so we're responsible for all the student um, services and amenities on the campus, and uh, and so in part we're we're responsible for the building that the Brumbies have just moved into. Yeah. So uh, the university's um, recently opened, and, and the Brumbies have just moved into a sixteen and a half million dollar um, training, research, and teaching facility uh, on the campus. It's um, it's a magnificent building and um, a new 
um, training field and, and complete you know, recovery, medical, administration, all the facilities uh, all under the one one roof and, and integrated within the, within the university. So uh, it's a quite a it's a little bit of a unique model, um, certainly in Australia, but uh, it's a an incredible partnership that that could. Um, I think in, in professional rugby, it's hard to stay ahead of the curve, yeah. um, and this may be one way in which uh, which the Brumbies might try to do that um, because of the the co-location with some of the leading sporting research and academic activity that's happening in the country at the moment. That's that's phenomenal, I've, and I've heard about this the, the centre, and it is really cutting edge. And so it will be shared with the university. Are there any other elite teams getting access to it? Is it Brumbies own from an elite perspective? No, we, we have um, also um, through the union and um, taken over the uh, Canberra Capital, so the right, women's yeah. basketball side with um, Carrie Graff and Lauren Jackson yeah. amongst others. So, so they're the uh, university's elite women's team, um, and so it 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 both um, uh, allows for that. Uh, I guess the, the co-location of two elite teams where where you learn off each other. Uh, but it also creates a transformational experience for the students who get to rub shoulders. You know, they're walking along the, uh, they're eating and having coffee in the refectory with Lauren Jackson and, and David Pocock and, um, and, and doing their teaching, you know, whilst the Brumbies are, are doing their strength and conditioning there and, and doing their research on, on current world class players like that. So, um, it's quite a, um, a fantastic atmosphere there at the moment, uh, and there's a lot of energy around it. Um, and certainly the, the university um, doesn't apologise for aspiring to be uh, the, the leading university in, in Australia for sport-related sport research. And um, yeah, we're, we're one wood away from the Australian Institute of Sport, um, and so there's a lot of facility and there's a lot of, um, I guess, understanding of, of elite sport environments, and it's, it's wonderful um, having the Brumbies and, and Capitals uh, now calling the University of Canberra their home. It's an interesting model, isn't it, Joe? And it's one that's probably developing in Australia at the moment, whereas we know the college system in the USA is very much the development pathway, at least for elite sport and a number of these sports, and it's a different structure here. But the universities are back being a lot more involved, I guess, in, in again, in that high-performance base, and we see it at the likes of Sydney University and University of Queensland in their rugby programs and many other sports programs. But you've got the likes of Bond Uni coming on board, and there's many other examples out there. Is it is a bit of a trend? you think coming back into into sport development uh, there is and uh, and you know John Coates before the last Olympics said that the the university sector is one of the last untapped um, opportunities to really drive sport and elite sport within Australia and, and I think that's right the, the sectors um, you know in a, in a great place to be able to do that uh, and we are seeing some interesting things you know the US models obviously quite unique and and whether we aspire to it or, or you know, it's unachievable in terms of the sort of the quantum of what they achieve over there in terms of their college sport, it may not be right. But but other universities, the UK model, have, have done it with a lot of their Olympic programs coming through universities over there, and um, and and I think we it's a little bit it's still untapped here in Australia, uh, and so you know the University of Canberra is certainly seeking to lead the way in terms of understanding. You know where the synergies can occur for um, sport and the university to, um, to to drive ahead and and, and see what sort of uh, results can be achieved through those sort of partnerships. 
fantastic. It's very exciting stuff. Uh, the other uh, aspect you're, thing you're involved with at the moment is you're one of HSBC's uh, ambassadors, rugby ambassadors. What's what's that involved? Ben. Well, for instance, last week we had uh, HSBC put on a, a, a rugby clinic for all the kids in, in Brisbane, uh, including some from the Indigenous Education um, Foundation. And, and so some of the Indigenous kids came along and, uh, you know, we had Michael Hooper there and Nathan Sharp and HSBC organised a, um, a full coaching clinic and, and to, just to be able to play touch with some of those kids, it reminded me of you know, playing rugby with Andrew Walker where um, you, you're playing with kids who just had such a natural understanding and affinity for the game um, but haven't really had the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to pull on boots and play formally. Uh, and so HSBC are providing those sorts of opportunities at a grassroots level, very, very committed to, to rugby, um, you know, and we'll see that more at the elite level, but... Um, but for them, and for HSBC, it begins at the grassroots level, and and so uh, we've been getting along to some of those clinics, and uh, and also uh, getting along to the games to to support the corporate clients and and enjoy the rugby and and try and uh, enjoy the atmosphere together as uh, as um, as the as the bank loves to do in terms of their commitment both to to rugby here in Australia and also to the you know the World Sevens program and, and various other programs. Oh, that's brilliant! It's fantastic support, and that, that is the the future of rugby in Australia. So it's great to hear that support's out there by the likes of HSBC mm. and yourself. Uh, a final question, or a couple of final quick quick ones for you, Ruffy. Are you going to the game on Saturday in Sydney? I am, and I'm really looking forward to it. You don't get day games very often anymore. I was and I say, think did you get a chance to play any day tests in Australia? I'm sure there would have been a few. Uh, I, it came on that cusp of professional, right at professionalism, effectively, a bit before, and I'd suggest that the trend moved away, but I'm sure there would have been a couple there at some stage. Do you know, I can't recall ever playing a day a day test match in Australia. Yeah. So it certainly was still the... Uh, the norm in New Zealand for some time and South Africans were right into twilight games but, but in Australia we almost went straight to night games and I think the, uh, the day game is, is, you know, certainly for the, uh, for the crowd is, there's nothing better than a, than a day test match at Sydney Football Stadium. You know, we don't, you don't easily forget the, uh, you know, the bladders lows back in the day when, uh, when George Gregan was making his tackle on Jeff Wilson in the corner. Let's yeah. hope for more of the same. Similar results coming up. Absolutely, and I think I remember probably 2003 World Cup. There was a couple of day games versus Romania and uh, Namibia. I'm not sure if you played either of those games, but I'm pretty sure they were day games. Yeah. But um, yeah, you're right there, actually. Yeah. yeah. But look, Rafi, thanks so much for your time, and, and and we hope you enjoy the rugby on the weekend, as we all hope we will. Um, but uh, best of luck with all your future endeavours, and we look forward to watching how the University of Canberra progresses in the relationship with the Brumbies. And uh, let's hope we uh, we're chatting about the success of the the, Warrat- uh, the Wallabies, sorry, uh, after the Rugby Championship, and looking forward to the World Cup next year. Good on you, thanks. Nice to have a chat, Rich. Thanks, Joe. We'll speak to you again. All right, how good was that, Rofi? Thanks for your time, mate. That was fantastic. Uh, a lot of insightful things there. Dave, you're right, you said it before. He's a, he's a bit of a legend in Wallabies, and he's he's helping out now at HSBC, also involved intimately with uh, University of Canberra and their union there. As a CEO of their union, obviously a leading role in that, that strong relationship with, with the Brumbies there, and, and that's a, a very unique one that's uh, probably going to set the standard for a lot of how elite sports teams develop as they go forward.
But let's let's move on from there. We heard a bit about Rafi and his ideas on the test. Uh, let's get into it, Dave. It was uh, it wasn't the Brisbane test reincarnate. I think we're kind of hoping it might be a few more score, tries scored. I think we expected a, a different French team to show, and they definitely did, didn't they? What was your thoughts on this test, mate? The six nil uh, slaughter down in Melbourne. <laughs> Absolute bloodbath. Um... Like you said, I expected a different French team, and, well, we got that, so, you know, tick that box. But, um, look, they were really aggressive, very, very physical at the breakdown, particularly um, their defensive breakdown um, work was superb. I mean, they were just... Uh, I don't know the exact number of turnovers they got from us, but it was it was plenty, and um, they obviously targeted that. And, I mean, the defence of both teams was pretty good. There were a few missed tackles, but overall... The defensive patterns were pretty good, and there wasn't a lot of room to move. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I wasn't disappointed this test. I mean, it was frustrating no. to not see the tries. I no. wasn't too disappointed with our performance. I mean, you know, it's always good to win those tight ones, and it's something we've we've lost previously. And there's some times when I thought that old, you know, one of those old uh, sort of weaving into into support French tries was going to come about, but we we held them out. But I, you know, I don't think we didn't do anything too wrong. Perhaps lost a little bit of direction, some of our lines and so on. But the French played bloody well and. It was interesting. I think Gags and I both predicted, made a couple of predictions last week about, you know, it'd be a bit of a bloodbath and they'll really target Hooper and take him out of the game. Well, that didn't really happen. Ducetois was fantastic, but um, there was nothing, you know, dirty about it. It was just legitimately very strong at the tackle. And the other one we predicted was that Bastereau would uh, would run straight over the top of Foley a few times. And, I, gosh, it seemed like it was 20 minutes into the game before Bastereau uh, made any impact on the game or, or, or later than that. But... Uh, it was a different French performance, and, and uh, we we didn't make the breaks. Izzy Falau still a bit of a standout, made uh, a lot of metres, as does Nick Cummins on the wing there, which, which you'd expect those those back three to make a bit of metres from that sort of kicking game. But from your perspective, any standout players, Dave, who, who sort of took the bickies from a Wallaby perspective? Well, it's, when I watched the game live, um, and then when I watched them replay, were quite different, which is probably yeah. always the way. But yeah. uh, it was... Uh, you know, watching it live, I think Falau stood out in that he was make, he was trying a lot and he was he did actually make some metres. But when I watched the replay, I realised he actually did do a lot of work. And, you know, Cummins, too, you mentioned, he was good. Um, ben McCallum, I mean... Yes. I mean, he... My, when I watched the game, I thought, geez, he's busy. Mm. And then, you know, there's always this, but is he actually achieving anything? And then when you watch the game back... You go, I mean, he had a, he had a fantastic day. I was, I was actually, uh, I was amazed he didn't figure a bit higher in the rankings that we had on the front page um, because he got to a, a mountain of work. I mean, top of the tackle count, you know, he was he was really in everything. Um, and I guess besides him, look, the front rowers, I mean, they stood up. They had, they had a succession of pretty decent French front rowers up against them. Yep. They didn't. Slipper had some problems in the first few scrums with Bayern, but I think there was just more shenanigans going on. The guy he was packing against was um, was playing some silly buggers with him and, and, you know, got away with it and he dropped a few Bynes and gave up a couple of penalties. But after that, they were, you know, they were pretty good. And uh, so I was, uh, you know, front row. And, and But McCallum, I mean, I was... Uh, he 
he really stood up and oh, I thought he had a good go. Yeah, I agree. Look, I I, uh, I think he got one of my top three. I, in fact, I think I caught a man of the match in my my three two ones on the site there. I thought he was fantastic, very busy, and not just not just making runs for the tail of it. I mean, he I thought he was effective. He made ground there, um, some very good tackles, and I, yeah, I, I thought he was fantastic. With you with the front row again, Keps. I gave him a bit of a, a raz last week. Um, in, after the first test, but he was much improved and was very, very strong in the scrum um, and, and in general play. I thought Slipper again was fantastic. Very Queensland biased, it would seem, but I, I thought Kevy Hall was was excellent. Or not? Look, I won't go so far to say he's excellent, but I thought he was was very good. Those two frustrating penalties early on, and I think it was when I think it was Fardy got, or was it Simmons? One of them got penalised for. Taking a man out or contact in the well, they both did. Yeah, at different times. But, but it was like Simmons first, I think. Simmons was the first one, yeah, and yeah. that was pretty much clearly Kevin Farty pushing Simmons into the opposition. They just um, lobbed him like a hand grenade yeah. over the other <laughs> side. So that was a bizarre one. But yeah. um, but I, what I loved about Kevy's game was his physicality at the ruck, and it's the thing I really noticed with him. He really cleared out at that ruck, um, which was yeah. Look, I think I I, I think he's. Um, Look, he's going okay. He's not. He's not at his best, obviously. But he's. He's. He. I mean, you can't fault his application. He's trying bloody hard. Mm. He's, he's. There's a lot of effort going in. He's maybe not as effective as he is at his best. But I. I mean, I put. I, I think I wrote this somewhere on the site today. But just, I think he's one of those players that, when you've got the attitude right, which he does, I think he's going to get better and better. Yeah. In the Wallabies environment with Mackenzie and, and other players around him. Then maybe I mean there's obviously some issues going on at the Reds, and we won't go into all that now. But you know, I think he's I think he'll get better and better in the Wallabies environment. And look, I think he did he did well. I mean, it's a bit we'll get onto the selections for this week. A bit harsh that he's benched, but I think there's a the reason for that is not so much that he didn't play well. I think it's I think it's more because Mackenzie wants to have a bit of a look at, at uh, someone else. So yeah. No, I thought he was all right too. I'm, I'm, I reckon, I reckon Hall's improving all the time. Yeah, no, I agree, and, and it's all just right. Let's not spend too much time on it. It becomes a bit biased, unfortunately. What about um, uh, further outside in the backs? And there's probably two guys I want to mention here. Is Nick White, um, yep. who uh, obviously played scrum half. It was very much his sort of game. I mean, I know Link wanted to uh, play a bit of position, so he relied a bit of the kicking game, but. And Nick's, that's a strength of Nick's, but his, his disposal was still very good, but his running game probably gave him a bit more to the fore in this game as well. How do you read Nick's play? Look, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It is his sort of game, isn't it? You know, where um, his, his, his kicking from hand should be valuable. I mean, my big problem with the kicking from hand from all the Wallabies was um, that, uh, not that they weren't getting some decent distance on them, I mean, he always does. And the other kickers actually weren't too bad in that regard. But the direction of the kick was just terrible. And the chasing of the kicks was mostly not that good. Yep. And the French the French almost always returned the kick with interest. And it, it was just that they, were, they seemed to be kicking smarter. They, were, they, were, they didn't have a lot of pressure on them. And they were looking for where the space was. And they were pumping it into the space. And, you know, Flau got caught out of position a few times. But... Someone pointed out to me that was probably because he was coming back from having fielded a kick or done something else, which is fair enough. But there's a lot of space back there. You usually only have two guys back, and and there's a heap of space, and they seem to hit it. And we we didn't. We seem to hit one of them every time. And 
you know, that I think that's a big it's a big worry because in these type games you're really gonna have the kicks going into some space and putting some pressure on, but we weren't putting pressure on with them. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think that was, it's a flaw that uh, I think we saw a bit of white in last year when he came into the Wallaby team for that couple of times. So the, uh, the, the non-accuracy in his boot, I guess, and uh, mm. that's just a, um, a lack of control himself. He just, the, the, the strategy's not behind it, not too sure. Uh, further out, Matty Tamua, who uh, was excellent in that first test. Uh, what's your read? I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit confused, yeah. and I think I, I might be a bit disparate to what your feelings on Matty, but how do you think Matty played? I thought he had a pretty quiet game, really. I mean, he uh, he, I, he was in with that group of players, the kickers, that I didn't think yep. did that well, so that's a, that's a, that's a minus. Yep. Um, I mean, he generally defends. Well, I didn't watch that particularly closely, so I'm not going to make a big judgment on that. But he just, you know, he wasn't... Um, doing as much with the ball in attack as we might expect him to do. But then again, you know, nobody really was. After that first phase for the Wallabies, the first period of play for the Wallabies where they had like 13 or 14 phases, and it was really good play, like quick recycles, fast ball from white, but moving it very laterally, like going cross the field, cross the field, cross the field, but retaining possession. And they made some, they made some distance downfield, but then... Once it sort of became obvious that the French were defensively going to be a lot starchier this week, then that sort of went out out the window. And then it was just like, well, okay, we've got to get out of our half quickly, so we'll kick everything. Mm. But then when that doesn't working well, everything else kind of went to seed a bit. So he, he look, I, he didn't really add much, I, and I'm not singling him out because look, no, no. I don't I don't think any of the playmakers in the backs it really did anything too exciting, well. except yeah. for Bill when Bill yeah. came on. Bill yeah. sort of mixed it up a bit but the rest of them didn't do much yeah, uh, yeah look I'm with you I, I thought um, I, I thought Matty w- w- was pretty good solid I mean but it wasn't one of those sorts of games when any of those sorts of backs was going to be able to do too much I guess you know would have been nice for one of those guys to, to break us I mean Izzy was our most dangerous was the only one sort of making any half breaks Kuran mm. Rani maybe one we would have liked to see break the line or make those metres that's really his job there he's the he's the line breaker for us um the, the Maddie, the try, the, the no try to McCalman from the Maddie Open Chase, which is great vision. We were almost had Maddie on tonight. We're just going to get the timing right. So my question was going to be, what was he doing? That dive was bizarre. I mean, you're watching uh, the replay, it's even more so. I can't quite work out what he's trying to achieve. Well, no, I, I can't help you on that one because uh, my first viewing of it, I thought he just fell over. Yeah. And then when I watched it a bit more, from some angles, it still looked like he just fell over, but from some angles it looked like, well, he fell over with intent. Yes, it was like so a screwdriver, led with the it, it was, and we kind of thought, you know, if he, he just, just fell over, it probably, well, at worst we were going to find a bit of scrum. Yes. At best we probably still would have scored the try, yeah. so... It was a bit strange. Um, Spur of the moment stuff. Look, I don't think there's too much more we can say about the test. You know, it was it was one of those games. It's copped a bit of flack. Drew an interesting blog article on our site from Cam Trelaw. Um, yeah. You know, I guess somewhat critical from the the spectators' reaction on. You know, this is test footy. This is what it's about. You take the good with the bad. You get pined and, and just support your team regardless of. Um, did you ever read of that article? Or, you know, I did have a read. I mean, I. I guess I agree with his basic premise that uh, 
you take the good with the bad and you get you know you get behind the team and the team wins so you go well good on your boys you won but there's all these other issues to do with Australian rugby at the moment and you know it's not like we've got the product which is going to sell out a stadium every week like they do in the Northern Hemisphere like you know South Africa and New Zealand seemingly don't have some of the same problems you know so I think we're more acutely aware when it's not a, an attractive product that uh, people start to ask questions. Yeah, and what we've got to realise, I mean, there's no doubt things are on the up with this Wallaby team. What's that, six tests in a row, and that's that's a fantastic yep. result. I don't First think, time in nine years. Yeah, so. I was going to say, I thought it hadn't happened for a while. But what we've got to remember is is that, um, you know, disregarding the last two, the, the previous four to that were all overseas. So it, it's very much a real case of out of... You know, out of sight, out of mind from the Wallaby supporters, um, and even some of those better performances towards the end of last year, the the New Zealand game where you know we we lost, but it was you know a high scoring affair. The thrashing of Argentina that was over there. A lot of these improved performances by the Wallabies of late, which should be you know in, encouraging a bit of crowd support, were overseas. So rugby fans are fickle. It's going to take a while for them to, to be won back uh, from that the Dean's era, shall we call it. Um, I'm confident. You know, we, another good performance this weekend, a day test match in Sydney. The atmosphere should just be gunning for a great game. By the time the Rugby Championship comes around, I think the crowds will start seeing the improvement and that the old loyal support of our Wallaby fans will be getting back to, to where it once was. Um, if not by this year, by early next year, as the bandwagon fully gets into engaged for the World Cup? I think so. I, I, I think, like, I agree with you, it is on the up. Um, and in general, I mean, okay, that was a dour test in a lot of ways, but I reckon that's a test we would have lost a couple of years ago. 100%. 100%. And that would have been the difference. We would have watched a dour test and lost um, as opposed to winning it. So, you know, that's to me is a small positive. But yeah, look, we all want to see seven tries, but the reality is we're not going to get that every week. So there's not many tries ever scored in a World Cup final, so uh, it's a, it's not a bad practice for us. And look at the Kiwis; they're not they're not too unhappy about the fact that they've had a couple of recently ugly wins against e- England. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so I think you know you just have to accept. Look, we're playing France; they're not they're not mugs, and they can beat anyone on their day. So. We'll take the win. Yeah, we will. Well, and let's look ahead to Saturday, and it's a Saturday afternoon game in Sydney. Uh, fantastic. Can't wait. It was one of the big things we talked about. Rafi was was this atmosphere on, a, on an afternoon test match, and it will. It will be electric, and no better team to play than the French, and hopefully they'll be, they'll be fully engaged in it. And the team, the Wallaby team, was named today, and for the third test in a row, we've got the exact same back line, which is fantastic. I'll have to go back and check how long that's been. Uh, the rest of the team, Cliffy Palu comes back into starting eight for Betty McCallum and, and um, harsh, but probably fair. Cliffy played that first test and, and, and played well enough. Missed this test through injury. The other new name is Will Skelton, the behemoth, coming in for James Hall. So another lock debutant after Sam Carter in the first test and Luke Jones last Test. So he'll join Robbie Simmons in the in the second row there, and the front row remains the same. Uh, Scotty Seo comes onto the bench for Pet Cowan. Laurie Weeks is still there. Kevy and McCalman back onto the bench. So Higgins drops out. 
Um, but Rob Horn comes back onto the bench for the first time, I think, since the uh, the Lions tour last year, replacing Paddy McCabe, who I think got some sort of shoulder injury towards the end of the week on the game on the weekend. So pretty consistent team, but the standout there, obviously, Dave is is big big skeleton. Looking forward to seeing him, I assume. Yeah, I just I just had to double check that he wasn't picked at four and five because <laughs> he is he's frighteningly huge. Um, no, look, I guess well. We kind of all knew it was going to happen at some point, and I guess this is a good point for it to happen, to, to see what he can do. Um, I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, he's been great to watch for the, for the Waratahs, and look, he gets he gets a huge reaction at the game. He's, he's a popular figure, and uh, I think that's going to help. Um, whether or not he's necessarily ready for Test Rugby, I'm not sure, but we'll see. I certainly think you know, in that first 20 to 30 minutes when you've got him, Palu, TPN, Slipper, you've got plenty of guys there that can truck the ball forward pretty aggressively. Um, and then, you've, you know, there's, there's a fair bit of mongrel in that pack and hopefully we're going to see, um, you know, we're going to see a fairly confrontational approach to the French pack early on, which, which um, should make for some good viewing. Geez, it's a, it's, it is a physical pack, isn't it? When you get mm. Cliffy back there at eight, you've got Fardy on the side, Skelton and Simo there, and then Keps, Tatafu and Slipper in the front row. That is a big unit. Mm. In saying that, it'll be interesting to see the game plan this week. Um, whether, look, I mean, I think Ewan's pretty, as we know, he's pragmatic. He uses that word a hell of a lot. And there's always the old uh, the old stable of, of you must go forward to go before you go wide to earn the earn the ability to go wide. So there's no doubt. Well, early on we'll, we'll use that use that time and, and skeletons physicality to, to get us some space up front. But it'll be interesting to see how he does cope with the speed of the game. And, and uh, it's no doubt a step up from from Super Rugby. Uh, oh, yeah. That'll no doubt be his biggest challenge. Yeah, look, I think he's still probably realistically 12 to 18 months off being conditioned ideally for Test Rugby, but he's getting the improvement from last season to this season's been pretty immense, so I think he's on the right trajectory. He's obviously got a good attitude from what I hear from within the Waratahs. The, you know, there's no question about his application and attitude, which is which is good to see. Well, um, I'm interested to see how they use him too, like whether they... Like you say, you've got to go forward to, before you can go wide. Whether and that was they kind of got away from that last week. Mm-hmm. They went wide and then they kind of lost the plot a little bit. And you could see uh, on that coach Mike with uh, with you and last week that he was trying to get them to attack the narrower channels a bit more and go up the guts. Yeah. And be interested to see whether where they sort of try and attack this week amongst the forwards, especially in the first twenty minutes, if they're going to try and go close or one one off with, they'll probably run skeleton one or two off um, and see what happens there. But it'll be intriguing. It will be. And I reckon this game, and, and which makes the skeleton selection uh, an interesting one, is that Ewan will be having an eye on the All Blacks. Um, that's his next test. It's obviously some months away. I think it's not till August. But there's no doubt that he'll be looking at this test and some of the things he does, some of the plays he makes, some of the players he has there, and what role they'll play in that uh, rugby championship and indeed the Bledisloe Cup. So that, what role, what game play he does play, as you suggest, 
um, will be quite enlightening as to that aspect of it. But you mentioned about Skelton's attitude. It's, it's, I just wanted to add that Ewan came out this week and said the exact same thing. They've been very impressed with his application, his attitude, um, which must be daunting for a guy that's you know a pretty damn new to the professional circuit to be thrown into this Wallaby team with the likes of you know Horwell and and um, you know these guys that have been around for a while. Uh, obviously, he's on a few of them at the Waratahs, but there's um, some, you know, some excellent players there who've done a lot of hard work for the Wallabies over the years. So that is probably the biggest talking point out of that team this week, uh, no doubt, and no sign of the French team yet. So we can't really suggest how they might play or, or what, they, what they'll do. We suggest that they'll, um, as we bring the jungle drums in. We'll, we'll no, play. sorry, that's just just getting a message from. Uh from somebody. That's cool. I thought it was quite a Apologise. Um, but so we won't see, won't know what the, the French will do. You'd suggest they'll pick up a fairly similar team to they did last week. But I think, think so, yeah. yeah. The French, who knows what they'll do. Any yeah, other key talking points about this weekend, Dave? Well, looking at the, 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 the 23, um, in the, look, in the starting lineup, no, because there haven't been that many changes. Um, I'm be, I'll be interested to see Scott Seo, yes. um, and I hope he gets a reasonable amount of game time because I think um, I think he's got a lot to offer. Oh, uh, yeah. Also, the other two reserve front rowers, I mean, they 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 didn't get much time on last week, so it's hard to really say too much about them. But it'd be nice to see them get a bit of time, and you know, I think it'd be interesting to see also when he when he brings someone like um, McCalman and well Hallwell obviously on as well, and whether he perhaps, if we get a little bit of an edge, whether he gives Phipps a bit more time. Because um, I think there's always, obviously now with um, Genier injured, um, then it's become a bit of a moot point. But there's this big question about, well, should Phipps be there? Is he actually, you know, is he worthwhile? Well, I think we need to see a bit more of him on the field to perhaps answer that question. Well, um, yeah, you're right. And the, the other question, and it remains in the halves, is Foley. Now, Foley, um, you know, those tight games last, like last week are made for a fly half to really dictate the game, and, and Foley yeah. wasn't able to, to take control as you'd, you'd hope. So, and, and as you suggested, when Beal came on, he, he did, you know, he did look positive. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a bit more game time. Again, this will all be dictated by the stage of the game and who's winning by what. But I wouldn't be surprised if Beal gets a, a fairly decent run at fly half this week as well, um, just in preparation again for that Bledisloe. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, if, if we've got a, if we've got a, a comfortable lead at half time, I wouldn't be surprised if he came out straight away. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and you know that 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 could be interesting. Yeah, and a lot to see just how. Foley's playing himself in terms of his ability to to stamp his uh, dominance on that back line. Um, so, look, really exciting. I was rapt to see the debutants last week, obviously Luke Jones, but Charles and his own story with what he's overcome to get yes. there was, was an amazing story. He made a great impact um, uh, in his short run on the field. Um, but Laurie Weeks, I'm, you know, I think everyone's a fan of Laurie Weeks. He's, they, he's called the people's <laughs> champion, but uh, as we've sort of followed him through his career... Um, he just looked. I don't know. He looked. He looked. He, he looked just like one of your mates out there in the test when he ran on. It was. It was great to see him, and I'm wrapped to see him getting another go this week, and hopefully he gets another run and maybe a bit more time there. Uh, absolutely. At some stage. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. So well deserved. Absolutely, and the, the Rebels fans must be uh, must be shattered down to. Is it just the 
just the one rebel this week with uh, Luke Jones and, and Scott Higginbotham dropping out of the squad. So they'll be right in the street of uh, Street to St. Kilda this week, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, so that's the test match this week, and that pretty much wraps us up. A couple of things I just wanted to touch on, Dave, and you know, you add in what you think's relevant, but it's with the test week this week uh, in Sydney, an afternoon game, it's a great chance to really engage with the test. Some of you who haven't gone, if you're interested, you should jump on greenandgoldrugby.com and check out the Gold Brigade, which is an initiative from the ARU, but there's a big it's a, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a supporters bay, isn't it? They, they get access to, there's got to be a big tailgate party in the afternoon before the test. Um, they obviously encourage everyone to get dressed in their, their gold, um, and get there and be loud and supportive. And they're going to storm the stadium at some stage. They're all going to march in as one, as the gold army. But, uh, the gold brigade, check it out. Uh, I think we need this. We're just talking about this. We need our, our fans to get vocal and, and get really patriotic and, and single-minded about their support of the Wallaby team, correct? Yeah, and what, what better venue to try and increase some vocality than in Sydney, where we can actually have real words rather than just sort of grunting sounds from the crowd. Yep, absolutely. Might set the stand for the rest of the year, hey, for those <laughs> supporters. Um, we can only hope. Yeah, exactly. The other thing we should mention is that the Brumbies are off playing uh, in the World Club 10s. Uh, they are obviously, I think they're the, the reigning World Club 7s champions, having played in the 7s tournament uh, uh, earlier this year. It was late last year, but uh, they've been invited over there to Singapore to play in the World Club 10s. And that kicks off this weekend and is, in fact, on Fox Sports. So I think there's a delayed coverage Saturday night, but the playoffs will be live on Sunday, I believe. So that's... Uh, that should be well worth watching um, if you're a rugby fan and obviously a, a Brumbies fan. Um, Absolutely, I haven't watched a lot of tens. So I've never seen it, mate. I, I got the last ten. The last tens I watched was like late eighties rugby from England. Yeah, but right. uh, that's the last time I saw ten man rugby. Yeah, it's but, um, I don't know the impact of it. They've, they've picked uh, like legitimate tight forwards, so that's obviously a strong <laughs> part of the game and so on. That'll be It'll be something to see. Yeah. Uh, good stuff and a great initiative over there in Singapore and good on the Brumbies for supporting it um, look as for other news there's not much going on I, you know this is a bit of a continued uh, uh, story from the Reds perspective more players leaving this week I think it's been confirmed that Jonah Placid has signed with the Rebels today yep. which is I think it's a fantastic signing by the Rebels um, oh yeah it's a massive loss for the for the Reds but probably points further to the fact and the all news reports indicate that James O'Connor is pretty much confirmed with the Reds. Um, we're obviously chasing, well, they're obviously chasing Carmichael Hunt. Um, so they're a couple of guys that could play fullback, may end up playing elsewhere, but could definitely cover the fullback because when you talk of fullbacks, we've lost uh, uh, Aidan Tour, uh, 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 Jonah Placid, obviously. Mikey Harris has covered there a bit and he's going down to the Rebels as well. Um, and, uh, you know, last year, obviously, Luke Morahan left us. And uh, there's talk that Dom Shipley's leaving, Rod Davis has left. So there's a bit of a, uh, a one-way path at the moment. The Reds, apparently they're holding off to name the full squad later this year and they're completely confident with the squad they've got, but uh, they're not letting it release yet. It's all one-way traffic, unfortunately, which as a Reds fan is pretty worrying. Yeah, well, I mean, look, not just as a Red, Reds fan, I mean, as an Australian rugby fan, because, you know, whatever anyone else says... It doesn't do the code in this country a lot of good when you've got one of the bigger franchises, obviously. Yeah. Whether it be Queensland or New South Wales or the Brumbies, and this is no disrespect to the force of the, the Rebels, but, you know, if one of the big three 
is falling in a heap, it, it, it doesn't do anything good for the game in general in this country. So it's, it should be a worrying thing for everyone, not just for Reds fans. Well, and it should be too, you're right, Matt. I mean, I, I, I started making this list the other day, and by no means have I finished it, but players who have lost, let's say this last 12, 18 months, so let's just look at the locks. Hugh Pyle has got off to France at the end of the year. Sidalecki Tamani, we know he's he left last year for France. Peter Kimlin went to France. Hubert Miniman is going back to Japan. Um, Leon Power today, who's played a fair bit for the Brumbies last year, is their backup lock. He's off to France. Greg Peterson, who's eh, probably low, you know, lower down the pecking order for the Waratahs, but a mm-hmm. two metre plus lock, and there's not many of them around. He's gone off to France. He's signed to go to France. Phoenix Bache from the force. He's another two metre plus lock. He's off to France. So there's just the locks. And Kane Douglas. And Kane Douglas, of course. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is remarkable. I mean, that's a that's a real worry for us. You throw in the likes that of you know Ben Moen as well, uh, Tua, Albert Anne's going, Rod Davis I mentioned, Andrew Smith from the Brumbies is heading off. And there is, I'd say that is worrying signs indeed from Australian rugby, particularly when we're trying to build the, uh, the depth of Australian rugby through this National Rugby Challenge or competition, um, which has be held in only a matter of months. So a uh, bit of a concern for Australian rugby in my eyes. It is a concern, absolutely. I'm not sure what to do about it either. I don't have, I don't have a clever answer. Yes, well, let's hope we get plenty of money from the NRC. That's probably about all we can hope for because, uh, in the end, it's cash in the bank. Which is a good note to end on, cash in the bank. How are the cash reserves in the podcast fund? Yeah, uh, mate, we... I just checked my Skype account and I think it's got about $6.50 left and I think that's oh. pretty much the full asset um, uh, uh, listing for Green and Gold Rugby at the moment. So, yeah, we're not too bad. We're in the black. Fantastic stuff. So we'll be back in a week? Yeah, we'll be back in a week. Let's do it again same time next week, shall we? <laughs> it's been good, Rich. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for your time, mate. And everyone out there, thanks for listening. Cheers.